You're listening to DraftKings Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Jason Tatum. Is he a one-star general now? He revealed a little bit there. You're not supposed to say it out loud, Jason, unless you're acknowledging your membership in the Illuminati. On Monday night, gets ejected. J.B. DeRosa tosses him. First ejection of his career. Mm -hmm. But that's not the notable thing. That's not where we're giving him possibly a one-star general. Guys get ejected all the time. That's not a big deal. After the game, a clip was posted on his Twitter account of the three-point foul that was not called. Julius Randle clearly hitting his shooting arm. Didn't get the whistle. Didn't get any free throws in that game before he got ejected. Was very upset about the officiating. And then... He added this little quote, this little line in the quote tweet, Mazed. LOL, this is what I get for fouling Braun. There it is. Look at that. Jason Tatum, just like that, wittingly or unwittingly, becomes a member of the Illuminati by confirming one of the many, many theories. The central tenets. The theory of conservation of fouls. A foul is neither created nor destroyed, merely shifts from place to place. And so the foul that he didn't get called on him, on LeBron, ends up happening back to him because the land must be balanced. The game has to be in balance. For every uncalled slap on the wrist, there is an equal and opposite uncalled slap on the wrist. You slap, you get slapped. Jason Tatum, he's showing the cards, the NBA's cards here a little bit too much. Maybe it's on purpose. Maybe he's announcing his membership right here. Welcome. Jason Tatum. Welcome indeed. Damian Lillard also showing a hand on the NBA a little bit too much. I don't know if it's too much or maybe he's just part of the movement. The unveiling of the eyes. 71 points. Mm. 71! 71! Then gets drug tested after the game. Suspicious, right? Didn't Donovan Mitchell get drug tested after his 71 point game? That's right. Donovan Mitchell, remember that tweet? The day after he got drug tested after scoring 71 in that overtime game against the Bulls. And then here we have Damian Lillard after the game. Here's what he said. I mean, honestly, I was like, are y'all serious? Like, I I did the urine test yesterday, and then they backed it up with the um, the blood draw tonight after the game. That was actually my first time in my career being tested after a game. And then aside from that, they know that I'm scared of needles. So I know I got a lot of tattoos, but... When you're doing a blood draw, it's different than it's different than tattoos. But I was, it it brought me down from from here to the floor, all the way until it was done. And then once I finished it, I was like, all right, you know, I got that out the way. So man, this is just mean by the league. They know he doesn't like needles, man. I've never heard of the blood test one. I'm familiar with the one they make you pee in the cup in front of them. The shirt has to be above your nipples, and the pants have to be below your knee. So there's no chance for a whizinator. 
Above the nipples? Is that a rule? Yeah, your shirt has to be like so. I know where nipples are. I mean, thank you for showing us. That's how they do the drug test. I'm just telling you. That's the technical position that it needs to be at, above the nips. The shirt has to be lifted above the nipples, and the pants have to be below your knees. So basically, from your knee to your nipples, there's just all exposed flesh. Mm. I can demonstrate for you if you want. Thank you. I mean, there is so much transparency on this show. Yes. We leave no stone unturned. Mm-hmm. And no shirt untucked. <laughs> no two stones unturned. I mean, I mean, I mean. I think there's two blood tests every year that players can be randomly administered. Mm-hmm. And those are for PEDs. Those are not, as far as I'm told, for drugs or recreational drugs. Those are for PEDs. Got and it. so it is a little alarming to hear that there was uh, NBA personnel or WADA personnel on site for that game. And then just so happened to tell, hey, Damon Lair, it's just your random, it's your day. Sorry, bud. Look, I feel for Dame. I get it. No one wants to get their blood drawn. It's not necessarily the most pleasant experience, but at least the NBA is consistent, right? You have an aberrant scoring game. That seems like a good time to drug test someone. Yeah, I would say it happens to everybody, right? Right, Tom? You keep track of these things, don't you? Oh, you know who's keeping track? Who's that? Stack. Stack Jack? Steven Jackson has been on this since January on an appearance on I Am Athlete. Shout out to Ashley. Listen to Stack. The NBA be showing their hand because Luca had 60, 20, and 15, something like that. He didn't get drug tested. But the Donovan Mitchell is 71. He get drug tested. Mm-hmm. So they just showing their hand. They showing, they're still showing how unfair it is. Right, it's right there in your face. All you got to do is open your eyes. They didn't, they didn't, this is not done by accident. All this intentional. Oh, wow. So Luca didn't get tested. Oh boy. I think. Oh boy. <laughs> would Luca tweet something? How would we know? No, that's true. In both cases, the players said that they got tested, and that's how we know they got tested. Otherwise, how would we know? But allow me for a second to posit a different theory. Okay. Where does Donovan Mitchell play? Cleveland. Where does Damian Lillard play? Portland. When you look at those two cities, or I shouldn't call them cities, really, those two townships, they are what we would call small markets, right? Yeah. You got to fight to get those games on TV. Meanwhile, Luca plays where? Dallas. Yeah. Nicknamed what? The Big D. It's a big city. It's a metropolis. It's an airline hub. American Airlines. Did you see all the celebrities at the game the other night? I mean, we had Mahomes. Von Miller. The list goes on and on. Hey, man, it's Dallas. This is a place that people want to be at, want to go. Cleveland, Portland, eh, not so much. And so maybe this is just the forces that be offering a not-so-subtle nudge to the door like you need to get out of here and get you somewhere where we don't test as often. Oh. New York or L.A. or Chicago. Not Cleveland and definitely not Portland. Portland and New Orleans are Memphis and Oklahoma City. Those are the four, the bottom four in terms of market size in the league. So the NBA showing their hand by forcing Damon Lillard to show his nipples. Wait, he didn't have to show his nipples. Show his arm. I didn't say the NBA, Tom. I just said the forces that be. Oh, oh. Again, I'm not making accusations. I just ask questions. That's interesting, Amin, but I thought it was because Luca is white. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. 
Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but... all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haverstro, and as always, I'm joined by my five-star generals, Mean El Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. We've got another load management rant here, this time by Charles Barkley. It's a conspiracy. We'll get into load management and the pace of the NBA, but first... You are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haverstro and Amin El Hassan. So LeBron James, he got his goal of the season, I think, right? And he got the scoring title from Kareem. He got the accolades. He got the presentation at the All-Star game with Karl Malone, Kareem. It was an emotional couple weeks. And then we thought, you know what? This season is just cake. The rest of the way, you know, if they make the playoffs, great. If they don't make the playoffs, it'll be tough. But at least he got the scoring title. That was the goal of this season, at least in my mind, for the Lakers this year. Get LeBron James the scoring title. What I didn't realize is that I was only having one of my three eyes open. Because the second eye should have been paying attention to the Kyrie Irving trade. We know that LeBron James wants Luka Doncic on his team because this is what he does. He did it with Anthony Davis. He sets his eyes on a player, a star player, young player, and he drafts him in the all-star draft. And then they switch agents and suddenly he's on the team. And we're seeing this with Kyrie going to Dallas, creating some dysfunction just around the time that LeBron James is about to play the Dallas Mavericks. My third eye is wide open that LeBron James just needed one more game. One more mission was to sow the discontent, the disarray in Dallas one last time before he had to call it quits on the season. Now, I'm not saying he's calling it quits. Look, his foot, there's a real injury here. But let's remember what happened in that Dallas Lakers game. Luka Doncic comes out hot, doing great things. They get out to like a 27-point lead, and then it all falls apart, I mean, and the Lakers come on back. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time, maybe, right? No one's going to overreact, will they? Oh, there was reaction after the game. We had Ban McMahon, I would say an honorary member of the citizenship, Ban McMahon, asking the tough questions. Jason Kidd calling out Luka after the game. Here's what he said. Yeah, I think it's just you know our maturity you know just understanding um what we have to do at that time just focus on that play can't get distracted uh with the whistle um and and just keep playing it just happens that way look uh, we've seen a lot of basketball games when you have big leads we know which way the whistle is going to go you just gotta you gotta play through it 
Jason Kidd. Oof. Where do you want to start here? I mean, first calls out Luca for being immature. Oh, sorry. Sorry. It wasn't Luca. He's just saying we've got to be more mature. We, we've got to be more mature. We're not immature. We're just not quite as mature as we'd like to be. Guys, guys, come on now. Let's not read into things at all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man, this LeBron, he's Machiavellian, isn't he? Did Jason Kidd coach with LeBron? He did. He was an assistant coach on a championship team in L.A. He was. But it's all part of an intricate plan, man, to put it in everyone's brain. Hey, this LeBron guy, how does he do it? Oh, this is exactly how he does it. And the seeds are all sown. It started several All-Star weekends ago. We told you guys this. We told you to read the charts, to follow the breadcrumbs, to follow the brown paper bag of All-Star votes and All-Star picks and All-Star drafts. And now you've got a whistle that is hypnotizing the Mavericks. Oh. Hypnotizing this LeBron guy. This ain't proof that he's the greatest. What is? I mean, he's got Jason Kidd saying... Hey, Luca, you know that the referees are going to make this a close game. It's just going to happen. You have to be mature about this. Let it happen. You just have to play through it. Okay. We know that the referees are going to make this a Sunday showcase ABC game. They want to make it a close game. And sure enough, it was a close game. And Luca was still complaining, not rebounding, not running back on defense. So Jason Kidd, after the game, was asked about that timeout. And this is an all-time quote. Yeah, I'm not the savior here. I'm not playing. I'm watching, just like you guys. And as us, as a team, we got to mature. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of new bodies coming back. And we got we have to grow up if we want to win a championship. There's no young team that's ever won a championship, uh, mentally or physically. But what the Lakers just showed us is that it's not, it's not a race. It's not the rabbit who wins. It's the turtle. And, and they, they work the game. And, and that's where we have to get to. We have to get better at working the game. And uh, we will. It's a lot of confusing folkloric metaphors there. Rabbits and turtles. What was the tortoise and the hare, Jason Kidd? Oh, it's rabbits and turtles. Sounds like a tricks commercial. Tricks are for kids. Jason kids. <laughs> they worked the game. I mean, they worked the game. What does that mean? What is he alluding to? There's a concept within basketball called the game within the game, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Some people will go out there and they just play the game. Shoot, dribble, pass, and that's just it for them, right? But then there's the game within the game, which is playing off of the perceptions and the stereotypes and everything. So making the refs make calls. In essence, with like a Jedi mind trick mm. or baiting your opponent into committing certain fouls and things like that. And we typically give a lot of credence to those who play the game within the game. And those typically tend to be mature veterans. So when Jason Kidd says they work the game and says, we've got to become more mature. That's what he's talking about. He's saying his team needs to play the game within the game and not just the game because the game in this sense will play them back. And it did because they got caught up hypnotized by whistles. That darn LeBron. And I don't know how it works, man, but marionettes, the strings are being pulled. There are no mistakes, no coincidences. Luca gets called out by Bam McMahon at the end of the game. Thank you mentioned that, uh, Conscious words. So he said, uh, as a team, we've got to mature. We, we've got to grow up. And he mentioned, you know, getting distracted by the whistle. 
Is is that something? You know, what's your reaction to that? It's probably true. That's it. Did you feel like you got distracted by the whistling mess? I know you were going to be the one to ask me that question. <laughs> I think it's a fair question. Well, yeah, like I say, you know, it's probably true. You thought on LeBron in general, what he's doing at you know, 73 years old. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know. Uh, for a guy like that, that he's doing that stuff at 37, or say he's 37. 38, yeah, 38. 20th season in the NBA is just just unbelievable. I mean, he's the scoring leader. Uh, he has accomplished almost everything that you can accomplish in basketball, so it's pretty amazing to even play against a guy like that. By the end of the press conference... We have Luca singing the praises of LeBron. Isn't it just beautiful how it all works together? You know what it is? If you do it right, people will hardly notice that you did anything at all. It's like refereeing, right? It's officiating. A great game means you didn't notice the officials. Your suspension of disbelief gets so caught up in watching the marionette, you begin to think the marionette has a life of its own. Not noticing there's someone above it holding the strings, that little wood thing that the strings are attached to, making it dance, making it sing. It truly is the greatest testament that the mind is mightier than the sword, that intellectually you can run the game in a way that physically you could never. But physically, there are limits to this. LeBron James heard a pop. pop, pop. Just when Laker optimism was back in fashion. I was so in. They made their trade. They're winning games. Everybody's saying Lakers to the playoffs. And then bop, 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 talk. Look, the issue here is LeBron had one last mission to carry out because we hear from Shams Charania. The interesting part here is I'm told he initially hurt that right foot in January. What? This is a re-aggravation. Yeah, happened back in January. Wow. It popped on Sunday, but the crackle happened before. Oh, snap. Snap, crackle, and pop. No mention of the right foot injury in all of January. That's odd. It's very odd. It's almost like, what was it, 2017, when he broke his hand in the finals? And then we didn't find out until after the finals were over. So you're telling me, Tom, that he's been injured this whole time? Whole time. Even when he broke the scoring record, he was toughing it out? That's right. But it didn't pop. And so now we've got the snap, the crackle, and the pop all happening. And LeBron James is going to be out for what looks like to be two to three weeks, somewhere in there. But the season's only got like six weeks left. I mean, we're actually more like three quarters through the season, not halfway through the season. We typically associate with all-star break. So they're running up against the clock here. And I just don't know if LeBron James, we're going to see him for the rest of the season. Because if the Lakers go in the tank, they're not able to tread water. Pop, there goes the chances. Some might call LeBron a weasel. Some? You? <laughs> Not me. Just some. No! Others! You're just asking questions. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
Well, if the Lakers are out of it, that leaves the door slightly more ajar for Portland. Dame Lillard passed his drug test. He scored 71 points in an amazing game. He shot 22 of 38 from the field, 13 of 22 from three, 14 of 14 from the free throw line for a ridiculous true shooting percentage of 80.4%. And that's the second 71-point game we've had this season? 71 in the same season is insane is absolutely nuts i don't even know what is the record for most 70 point games in a single season that aren't all scored by wilt i'm on stat head right now and according to stat head it's a lot of wilt it's a lot of wilt (laughs) it's three in 61 62 it was all wilt and then it was three in 62 63 and you guessed it it was all wilt and now this season is third all-time with two 70-point games. So it's the first time in NBA history we've had multiple players scored 70 in the same season. The closest to that that we've had prior to this was... On April 9th, 1978, on the same day, George Gervin scored 63 and David Thompson scored 73 because they were going for that scoring title. And now we've got multiple for the first time from two different players in the same season. Again, when it comes to scoring, minutes, all that shit, we got to do a non-Wilt conversation. And in this non-Wilt conversation, this is the first time. I'm starting to think that Wilt wasn't real. Maybe we should do an episode on that at some point. Was he a real person? Because these numbers don't make sense. They don't. Hologram. Wilt. Hologram. Algorithm. We sent a hologram back to the past. That's what we did. To play basketball. Yeah, and Damian Lillard holding up the sheet of paper with 71 written on it. That's all just proof. We don't have any video of Wilt Chamberlain doing that. We just have a picture. Anybody could have written that. He's like Paul Bunyan. (laughs) Wilt Chamberlain and his big blue ox took over the league. It's all folklore. Tom, what's happening? I get this question probably more than any other question this season. Why are we getting all of these scoring outbursts? Because remember, we also have 60-point game from Luka. 60-point triple-double. No drug test. We've got a ton of 50-point games. What's happening, Tom? We need to talk about this because I don't think people realize what's happening on a nightly basis. We've been so numb to how crazy the scoring outputs are, how crazy the games have been. We just had, what, 170 to 180 game the other night with the Clippers and Kings. 176-175, the second highest team scoring game in NBA history. We had Jokic on Sunday night. He had 40, 17, and 10, and it mm-hmm. barely even registers on the radar. It doesn't even matter anymore. They didn't need to give him a blood test because he was bleeding from scratches <laughs> on both arms. Shout out to Mike Ryan. They just took a little gauze pad, draped it across his shoulders, and then they had plenty of blood to test. We've already had more 40-point games this season than we've ever had in any season. That's including Wilt? Yes, that's including Wilt. Wow. Including Wilt, we've broken a record. Wow. It's amazing. 148 <laughs> 40-point games, and the calendar just hit March. We're not even full season yet, and we've already had more 40-point games than ever in a season. So I think, let's call it... Drum roll. Speedball. Hold on. Speedball? I mean, we can't go with speedball. Speedball. In the 70s, that had a different meaning. That was speedball. Yeah. All right, let's workshop this. Can't call it speedball. What about turbo ball? Okay. Everyone's playing super fast. Turbo ball, right? 
Yeah. It's okay. It kind of sounds like the future. We're playing... Future sport. Yeah. Sounds like future sport. Go ahead and say it. It sounds a little different. Rollerball? My people don't give a ding-dong diddly about what flag fly over Hawaii. Red line ball? No. No. Not there yet. No. Tom, just call it fast ball. Fast ball. Oh. Just hit that pause, you know? Fast ball. And it came out, and they started talking. Oh, I thought you were seeing Miley Cyrus. <laughs> they came through like a fastball. Just before the sun came up that day. There it summer slacking. Is that fastball? I hope so. Where were you going with this segment without ever knowing the way? Fastball. Yes. To see how fast the league has gotten, fellas. We need to go back. We need to go into the DeLorean. I mean, what's it called again? What's the machine? The flux capacitor. The flux capacitor. Punch it in. February 27th, 1997. Let's go. Bill Clinton is president. Want to be by the Spice Girls and don't speak by no doubt. Those are the songs that are on the billboards. What a time. We had Jurassic Park, Lost World, Titanic, The Fifth Element, Men in Black. We also had Mario Kart. This was the year Mario Kart. I was in my buddy Matt's basement playing Mario Kart and Goldeneye. Who's your character in Mario Kart, Tom? Take a wild guess. Mario. It's a me, a Mario. No, I was Donkey Kong. Really? Come on. Have you seen me with my shirt off? Yeah. I was a Yoshi man myself. February 27th, 1997. Why am I talking about this date? Why are we going in the DeLorean? That's because Cavs and Bulls are playing. The Bulls are on an absolute tear. They're 49 and six entering this game. They're facing the Cavs, the team that Michael Jordan himself killed in the playoffs with a shot over Craig Elo. This 97 Cavs team, they were good. At the time of this contest, they were six games above 500, led by Terrell Brandon and Chris Mills. They were good. But on this night, they were even better than the Bulls. They were up by three points with 9.8 seconds left, and Michael Jordan gets the ball. Everyone's sitting in their seats, nervous, because Michael's got the ball. He takes the three-pointer over Bobby Fills, and it misses. Cavs win. Michael Jordan played 43 minutes. He had 23 points to his name. He missed the game-tying shot. And I'm bringing up this game not because it's one of those rare opportunities to remind people out there, the youngsters, the millennials, Michael Jordan, Missed some shots, including some clutch shots. He wasn't perfect. In the regular season. <laughs> yeah, I guess. He hit every single one in the postseason. Do it in the playoffs, as Stu Gatz always says. And Michael Jordan did. I bring up this game. We're in the DeLorean because of this simple fact. The final score of that game, February 27th, 1997, was 73-70. to 70. Nice. The final score? The final score. Not the first half? No, that was the final score. In their primes, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, the Bulls were 49 and 6. This is peak Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen Bulls, and they barely scored 70 points. And this pissed off Dennis Rodman. According to the Chicago Tribune after the game, he told reporters, I don't know what Fratello is trying to do. Is he trying to win games 60 to 59 all the time? That's not basketball. End quote. Mm. Who's he talking about there? Who's this Fratello guy? I mean, he's talking about the czar, Mike Fratello. The czar of the Telestrator? The czar of the Telestrator. Two terms that are still very, very relevant in 2023. Yes. Very 20 CB. That's right. I didn't ring my cowbell, but what 
Mike Fratello did, which was a departure, obviously, from what he did in Atlanta with this high-flying up-and-down offense, is when he got to Cleveland, he did the opposite. He decided to milk every last possession out of the shot clock by slowing the game to a crawl. And you say, well, why would anyone do that? Well, here's the thing. When you have a talent gap, we play a game over 100 possessions. The more possessions we play, the more likely the more talented team is going to end up victorious. That's right. But imagine, if you will, a very, very exaggerated example. If we played a game that had one possession in it, basically next point wins. Sudden death. There is a bigger chance of a less talented team walking away with the win because if luck just happens to give you the ball, you throw up something lucky, it goes in, boom, game time. It's the reason why we play seven game series in the NBA playoffs and not one and dones because one and dones leads to Cinderella's and upsets because if you just catch them on that one bad day, you win as opposed to over an extended amount of time. It's harder and harder for the less talented team to win. So what Fratello was doing was slowing the game down to a crawl to limit the possessions, to give his team a bigger chance of basically fluke wins and also take the other team out of rhythm, et cetera, et cetera. And what he was doing guys was not unique in the NBA of the nineties. Because the reality was, yes, the Cavs were the slowest, and they took it to an extreme. But everybody played slow. That's right. And which was a vast departure from where the 80s were, where everybody played fast. Speedball. 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 Speedball or snowball or whatever the hell they call it. Glenn Nelson in the Seattle Times back in 1996 called it slowball. He wrote, the numbers assault like glacial water, cold and stunning. Fratello's brilliant scheme, the longer I hold the ball, the less time you have to touch it. And the crowd goes mild. Ah. Nice, Glenn. That's good. Here's Phil Taylor in Sports Illustrated. He's quoting Mookie Blaylock, the original name of Pearl Jam. The Atlanta Hawks point guard says, quote, when you want to run, they want to walk. And when you want to walk, they want to crawl. Phil Taylor goes, the Cavs aren't just beating their opponents. They're annoying them like a driver on the freeway who won't exceed the speed limit, no matter how many cars honk their horns behind them. Okay. Why are we talking about the Cavs Bulls game? Because of how slow the pace was. The guys standing around the corner, walking the ball up the floor. Amin Mays, the 1998 NBA finals, neither the Bulls or the Jazz scored over a hundred points in any of the finals games. In game three, the Jazz scored. You ready for this? Do you remember this? Does anyone remember this? No. 54 points. Oh, the lowest in NBA shot clock history. Not a typo. 54 points. According to basketball reference in 1999, the NBA averaged just 88 possessions per 48 minutes. The lowest ever on record. It draws to memory the Friends theme song by the Rembrandts. The Rembrandts. It's like you're always stuck in second the NBA always stuck in second gear. Thank you, Rembrandt. That was a late nineties reference too. People still watch friends though, Tom. So you're good. Like Luca. Does he watch friends? He loves it. It's his favorite show. Favorite TV show. Friends. It's all working together. Let's go back to Friday night. Okay. Friday night, plug it into the DeLorean, February 24th, 2023. Sacramento Kings versus the LA Clippers. Featuring Russell Westbrook, they had a long layoff. They had a week off the All-Star break. This was both teams' first game back. They look fresh. A bucket getter's dream. At halftime, here was the score. 
<laughs> Halftime Friday night, 80 to 76. Yeah. 80 to 76. More than that, Jordan versus the Cavs game and a half. At the end of the third quarter, the score was 117 to 110. And I want to stop here because even though the shot making was ridiculous in that game, we have to pay attention to something bigger that's happening. The pace after three quarters of basketball, the Kings and Clippers had played 80 possessions of basketball for much of the late nineties. That was the whole game. That was a game. It was it. And we're getting that in three quarters. All right, so Tom, how many possessions did they play in that Cavs-Bulls game? 75. Okay, but that was over 48 minutes, correct? Correct. So can you time adjust that for me to a 40-minute game? Because I want to compare this against college basketball. 75 divided by 48, that's 1.56 times 40. That's 62.5 possessions. 62.5. So thanks to our good friend Ken Pomeroy at KenPom.com, I actually have all the college basketball teams by pace in front of me right here, rank 62.5 possessions per 40 minutes would put that game one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, the ninth slowest in the nation compared to college teams compared to college teams that are on a 30 second shot. Are they on a 24 now? I think they're still on 30, right? No, they're still on a 30 second shot clock. <laughs> How is this possible? Have you ever watched Wisconsin play the slowest basketball had known to man? That's faster than that Bulls-Cavs game from 1997. That says so much right there. College basketball is lightning fast compared to that 90s era, or at least that game in particular. Absolutely. Let's rewind. Let's go back in the DeLorean to January 2nd. It is a weird time in America. The Jeremy Renner story almost died because of a snow plowing accident. Mm-hmm. The house speaker thing was about to go down. A player almost died on Monday night football, January 2nd. That was the day that Donovan Mitchell went off for 71 points. And in that overtime game, the Cavs won 145 to 134. Mitchell scored, of course, 71 points, which means that Donovan Mitchell scored more points in an NBA game. And same goes for Damian Lillard now than the entire Jordan Bulls scored in that Cavs game. And this shows us the transformative power of pace because yes, Michael Jordan played 43 minutes in that February 27th game. Mm -hmm. But it's important to remember that not all minutes are created equal because of the slow it down pace of the game and the overall era of late 90s basketball. Jordan was only on the floor for 70 possessions. That's 70 trips up and down the floor. And in the Donovan Mitchell game in January, Nikola Vucevic also played 43 minutes. How many possessions did Vooch play? Oh, man. Got to be more than 70. Yeah, more than 75. I know that. Higher. 80? Higher. 90? 88. 88 possessions. Good Lord. The same amount of minutes, but when Jordan played in 43 minutes, it was 70 possessions. When Vooch did it, it was 88 possessions. So we look back and we're like, these guys are playing more minutes and these guys today aren't playing nearly as many minutes. Why are they getting injured all the time? What's the deal with all the scoring totals? It's because this game is so freaking fast. Yo, one of my favorite quotes from around that era, 1994, is from Rod Thorne. Scoring in this league has gone down for something like 10 straight years. Teams are not taking as many shots. They're holding the ball more. Rod Thorne was the VP of basketball operations for the NBA. And everything we see today is a direct result, an adjustment, if you will, for all the things that happened in the late 90s. They were sick of it. They did not want slow down basketball. They did not want hold ball basketball. They did not want slow ball. They wanted speed ball or fast 
Speedball. Are we bringing back Speedball? No. I think we just brought it back. They wanted to leave Speedball in the <laughs> 70s and 80s. They wanted Fastball, and they got Fastball. But what Fastball comes more possessions, more shots, and more three-point shots, as that's been embraced more. And more possessions equals more free throws. Because, again, we've told defenders you can't touch people. You can't hold people. So all of these things are happening, but they're also happening at an accelerated pace, very literally, because the pace is accelerated. Up and down the floor, up and down, a lot of fast break, a lot of high velocity movements. And this is what I think about when Stan Van Gundy starts spitting. Yep. Why are these guys getting injured all the time? Why with all the medical science and why with all the athletic trainers on staff and the strength coaches and the reduced back-to-backs? And here's Charles Barkley spitting too on first take, a spit take. Is load management in today's NBA a big issue for Sir Charles Barkley? It's a huge issue. You know, uh, and Adam, and I love Adam. He's a great so guy. I. He's a great commissioner. So do I. I think... What, what happened is I think he kind of went overboard trying to take care of the players. He's like, well, you guys don't want to do back-to-backs. We're going to kill most of the back-to-back. Now they get like a whole week for All-Star game. So he's trying to do everything possible to get these guys rest. You know, Stephen A., I don't think fans get mad if you're making $30, $40, 50000000 million if you play basketball every night. But you can't make $30, $40, 50000000 million and then sit out games. I think it's disrespectful to the game. I think it's disrespectful to the fans. Because like I say, these fans are paying their hard-earned money. And like I say, especially, you know what's going to be crazy? In this next TV negotiating deal, we're going to have guys making $70, $80 million a year. Yeah. And they're going to be saying, wait a minute, you're going to make $70 million and you can't play basketball three or four days a week with all the stuff. I mean, they fly private. They got the best medical stuff ever created. And I says, you can't disrespect the fans making $70, $80 million and say, you know what? I can't play basketball four days a week. I mean, listen, it ain't like we should working in a steel mill, brother. I mean, people working in a steel mill every day, I'm pretty sure they tired too. Yeah. But they go to work every day. Uh, so, yeah, I think load management is a big deal. I think Adam is going to have to say, yo, man, I don't know. And, and listen, and I don't know the right or wrong answer, Stephen A. Yeah. Because I heard Steve Kerr said go down in games. Pretty nice of him to take money out of all these players' pockets. Hey, know. listen, when some of these lesser players who don't make all that money says, yeah, take uh, take 12 of my game checks. They're going to be like, no, yeah. no, no. I want them 82 games back quickly. So, yes, players are missing more games, as Charles is saying, but I also think the game is less taxing, right? I mean, like on the body. Yes, we talk about arm shivers and don't come into the lane. The bad boy pistons. Remember that. There's also physical damage to the ankles, the joints, the tendons, the knee ligaments, all the tissue trying to keep it all together. It's soft tissue. These are all wear and tear injuries, ACLs, Achilles ruptures. This is from overuse. It's not because people hit me hard. From up and down, all the possessions going back and forth, right? Yes, they fly in private planes and they stay at the nice four seasons or what have you. But you can't, the numbers don't lie. The Warriors are averaging 102 possessions per game in 2023. And the Fratello Cavs were at 82. That's 20 possessions over the course of a game. So here you have 
32-year-old Damian Lillard on Sunday night playing in a turbocharged league. And when he broke the record, he did it against only one veteran, Jay Sean Tate, who isn't even like a veteran. He's 27 years old. He did it against a Houston Rockets team featuring Jay Sean Tate and the ages of the rest of the guys when he got the 71st point, 19, 21, 21, 21. In fact, eight of the 10 Rockets players that night were 22 or younger. Consequently, the final score was 131 to 114. So if you remember, I mean, at the all-star game, they're sitting in the locker room, LeBron James and Damian Lillard sitting in the locker room. We get this cool video of LeBron and Damian Lillard talking about how Damian's not being named by LeBron as one of the young ones now that they're old. They're the old heads in the league now. That was really cool. Mm -hmm. But we talk about pace. We have to talk about the other side of this equation is look at this league. It is a young man's league. We don't realize it until we put the numbers on it. But here are the types of players that played in the late 90s era. In 1995, 27% of the players were 30 or older. They were in their 30s. 27% in 1995. Remember that Rod Thorne quote. That kept going up in every season after that. 29%, 31%, 32% in 1997. 32%, yo. Up again to 33%, 34% peaking in 2001 when 35% of the players were in their 30s. One out of every three players on the floor. That was the glory years. Peak Michael Jordan, late 90s era. They were really old. But these days, it is a young man's game. It is more Houston Rockets than it is Damian Lillard and LeBron James. These days, there aren't as many vets hanging around. Just 20% of today's NBA players are in their 30s. 20%. It's a young man's game. Last year, it was at 18%. We're a little bit higher than we were last year, but that's still half as many 30-year-olds as there were in the peak of the late 90s. And by the way, how much is that number skewed by three or four players? Oh, like LeBron and Udonis Haslam? Chris Paul. Iguodala. Yeah, if you took LeBron, Udonis Haslam, and Chris Paul off the table, Iguodala, if you took out all those guys off the plate. The outliers. Imagine, if you will, it plotted on an X-axis, right? Yeah. And every player is a dot. The majority of the dots would be all the way back here, sub-27 years old. And then you'd have a trickle and then a couple of dots all the way out past 35. And they're pulling the average up, but the reality is... Most of these guys are back here. 1997 All-Star Game, okay? Nine players were in their age 33 season or older. Michael Jordan, Barkley, Drexler, Dumars, Ewing, Malone, Olajuwon, Detlef, John Stockton, 33 or older. The golden years of the Dream Team, okay? Nine players in 97 All-Star Game. This year, 33 or older All-Stars in the game, we had a grand total of two. LeBron, who barely played, DeMar DeRozan, who barely played. We had KD and Steph, who were too injured to play, who are in that age range. In 97, we had nine, and this year we had two. It is a young man's league. Remember, Carmelo Anthony, he's still looking for a gig. So is Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, Isaiah Thomas, DJ Augustine, Trevor Ariza. And those are just Lakers from last year. Jared Smith had to go back to school and play golf. All these guys, they'd be playing in the 90s because it was an easier game to play. You didn't have to run up and down the floor. I remember an assistant coach telling me this the other day. He's like, man, you just pull up tape from the 90s and look at today's game. It is like two different sports. 
So from there, in the late 90s, the league gets younger. The high school preps to pros movement happens. In 2001, we had Kwame Brown, Tyson Chandler, and Eddie Curry going one, two, and four. We had Amari going in 2002, LeBron in 2003, right? I mean, 95 was Garnett, 96 was Kobe and Jermaine O'Neal, 97. T-Mac, and I believe Al Harrington. But then it starts to explode as Kevin Garnett gets into his prime. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's like, ooh, we need high school guys. So you look at 99, 2000, 2001, that's the big explosion of the youth movement, all the way up to 05, where we get the age limit rule. And then starting in 06, we start getting one and dones. But again, it starts really around the turn of the century, where we are infusing more and more young players into the game. And then at which point we are now, where it's almost exclusively, you look at the draft, it's all one and dones or 19-year-olds from Europe. And the prevalence of third-year and fourth-year college players is almost non-existent, at least in the first round. This is where we are. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a gradual erosion of the age average throughout the years. And it all ties into all these different factors, the pace of play, the style of play, and of course, the age of the people entering the league every year. Right. So I'm going to send you this chart that I put together, the NBA, a young man's game. And I want you to look at this. Mm -hmm. I'm charting this from 1990, thanks to basketballreference.com, 1990 to today. The peak age that we've seen in terms of the average age of an NBA player was, look at this, 1999, 27.9, the average age peak. When was the average pace, the bottom, the minimum? When did it bottom out? It's right when the average age was at its highest. Think about that. Some nice synergy right there, Tom. Ah, uh, the beauty of visualizing data. Take that for data. So we go from 88.9. We add 11 possessions for every NBA game. And now we're at 99 possessions per game in the NBA. And look at the average age. It goes from about 28 average NBA player down to 26 as it is today. And again, imagine, if you will, that the majority of the population back then is a lot higher up that timeline than they are now. That's a lot of years. The league right now is a thousand years younger, a thousand years younger than it was at the peak of the Jordan era. And so what we're seeing is the game is speeding up and these older players are trying to stay with it. And so when Kawhi Leonard is going to the Clippers and saying like, I'm not playing in back to backs, this is why because he's trying to save his body for the postseason. He's been one of the best postseason players of all time. And the game is so much faster now. He played in a game where 170 points wasn't enough to win. Kawhi did. 175 wasn't enough. And so we're asking ourselves, what's behind this scoring surge? Donovan Mitchell has 71 points. He's never been on an All-NBA team. Damian Lillard coming off an All-Star break, 71 points. You have to look at the full picture. You have to look at the context. And I will remind you that after all that, how good Damian Lillard was in that game, the shots from half court, the fast breaks, the dunk at the end of the game that happened after a DNP rest. Hey, guys, you know what? I feel like I was kind of blind, but you know what I'm doing right now? I'm seeing.
Quinn Snyder, huh? Quinn Snyder hired mid-season, took weirdly long, way after the All-Star break. They let Nate McMillan go, and they bring in Quinn Snyder, and it's super weird because, I don't know if you know this, but Nate McMillan's son is an assistant coach. Still? Still. That's awkward. That's definitely awkward. That reeks of patricide, Tom. It does. This is Game of Thrones if I've ever seen it. His son made a call and insured his own job while getting pops up out of here. But it is bizarre, Tom. I don't totally understand. Quinn Snyder's a great coach. We talked a little bit about his exit last year and how it was more about the circumstances than his caliber. And then the Hawks are having an off season and how are they going to fix it? Let's fire Nate McMillan after the all-star break. That'll work. I think you don't have to read too many tea leaves to see what's going on here. Woj reporting on ESPN. Lots of paragraphs about how this deal went down and why he chose Atlanta and why he decided to forego this off season's lining up of teams, offering him big money deals, big contracts. Why would Quinn Snyder decide to take this job right now instead of having a lot more opportunities potentially this summer? And the answer is in the text. You can see it in the article what's going on is he's getting a front office position oh and that always works out right tom mm-hmm. let's connect some dots here landry fields is a first year gm cal corver is an assistant gm just promoted into the front office they get rid of travis schlank who came over from the golden state warriors who assembled this staff to basically be the golden state warriors east coast that doesn't work and then they bring in quinn snyder huh He's a good coach. He's got as deep of a playbook as anybody. They won tons of games in Utah, but it's just very odd to me that they would try to get him in now. And it's very clear that he's doing it because he sees a power void. There's new ownership or new voices. Wrestler's son is a young kid who's running the organization as a shadow GM, apparently, according to the athletics reporting, Sam Amick. And it seems like to me, Trey Young he hasn't packed his bags, he probably should pretty soon now. Packed his bags like they're going to ship him out or packed his bags like he's going to demand a trade? Either one. <laughs> We've gotten a few coaches here with Trey Young haven't worked out. Lloyd Pierce, Nate McMillan, and now we have Quinn Snyder. And by the way, they've got a big cap crunch coming this summer and beyond. The Atlanta Hawks have to make some tough decisions about who they're going to keep and who they're going to get rid of. They have a player at his position, an all-star at his position in DeJounte Murray that they gave up pretty much every draft pick for. So the writing is on the wall. It's put up or shut up time for Trey Young if he doesn't see eye to eye with Quinn Snyder here the rest of the way. And they're giving Quinn Snyder some personnel power. I love this language though, Tom, from Woj here. Snyder's hiring could give the Hawks a better prism with which they'll evaluate the franchise's future. The diamond in the rough, Quinn Snyder. Wait, so they're saying Quinn Snyder is a prism? Yes, they're going to use Quinn Snyder to observe their roster. Okay. Almost like a third eye. Wow. And that is going to reveal what should stay and what should go in their future decisions. Is he the GM, though? He's a prism. He's a prism. Obviously. That's an official title. I don't know if... Aware. Wow. So Quinn Snyder, he's a head coach, mid-season hire as a head coach. We believe in him so much that now he is the prism by which we are evaluating the whole entire thing. 
No mistakes, no coincidences. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.